John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. everybody and welcome to another brand new episode of the cinephiles live brought to you here by the cinephiles on the cinephiles youtube channel i try to say that as many times as possible in 30 seconds <laughs> i am the outlaw john roca one of your co-hosts for the show today joined as always by my brother in the cinephiles steve morris how are you steve i am doing very very well and i'm actually looking at you through a new webcam because i just got a new monitor and i feel like i look more gold and rosy than i have <laughs> in the past i feel like i feel sort of healthful you, you feel know? pretty one might say i might say <laughs> i feel pretty we'll see if i'm witty oh and bright let's just keep it a bright and uh and uh are coming to join us today which we are just tongue-tied and incredibly excited about are these two amazing uh, uh talented creative people who were our guests four years ago which we just uh, kind of talked about off camera a little bit for our original exploration of west side story from the 19 from 1961 we are here to talk about the 1961 version and compare it to the 2021 version. And the, let's introduce them now. Actress, director, producer, writer, all-around badass, Milena Govich. How are you, Milena? Hi, I'm great. <laughs> and uh, composer, writer, producer, creator, David Cornu joining us as well. David, how are you? Doing great. How are you guys? <laughs> Fantastic. Oh. Good, 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 good. Steve, you look really sunny and bright. <laughs> I love it, I love it. And uh, we are coming to you live here on the channel. So, uh, and remember, ladies and gentlemen, as we go along here, we're going to be talking about everything involved with West Side Story. I want you all to remember, we've got the Streamlabs and the Super Chats that are open. So if you want to send in a question, a thought, or a comment, and you want us to read it as we're going along, then send them in. We'll read them on screen. And remember, you have two Incredible performers here with incredible resumes. If you want to sneak over to their IMDb's and take a look at them, incredible resumes. Ask them questions about their points of view. Some of you have remember the episode from four years ago. Some I've heard, we were talking off camera. Some of you even have it in your top ten of the Cinephiles episodes. So this is your chance to maybe ask a question about some of the comments that Milena or David made while we were uh, uh, recording that episode and see what they think now 
looking on to the 2021 uh, version of West Side Story as well. And I'm going to go first to you, Steve. Now, you know, we talked about West Side Story when we were doing the best picture breakdowns on my channel in the Oscars series. Um, what do you think now, even more so after the Oscars and the comparison and everything that's gone on here, what's your feeling thinking about both of these movies in comparison? So uh, if you remember, if you listened to our review, I said some pretty bold things about mm. uh, Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. And when, and I rewatched it. And as I'm rewatching it, I went, oh, maybe I wasn't quite right. Maybe this isn't so. And then about a third of the way in, I went, no, no, this is really something. And uh, so I think, I think this is going to be a fascinating comparison. It's rare that you get a chance to talk about two things that are both so damn good mm. in my opinion and it really gives you a chance to explore the filmmaking to explore the ideas to explore the story in a different way i am super excited that's absolutely absolutely so we'll go uh Milena, i'll go to you first um you you know you're broadway actress you're, you're in your both of you are west side story nuts what was your thoughts before going in to see this uh, uh, version here directed by Steven Spielberg? And what were your thoughts afterwards? So when I first heard it announced that Steven Spielberg was going to remake West Side Story, my response was no. <laughs> she was <laughs> that not was it. having it. Done. I was not out. Having it. Not having any of it. Uh, I, I just kept saying, why would you mess with a masterpiece? And yes, there's problematic things. And yes, they were dubbing the singing, but it was so of its time and in yeah. its moment. And it was so groundbreaking for that period. Like, just, gosh, just leave it alone. That's so. <laughs> but then David showed me the trailer and I was like, okay, I'm going to have to go see this movie. <laughs> um, and, you know, the music alone gets me. I'm, 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 I'm weak for Leonard Bernstein. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, so when we went to see, by the way, David and I have only gone to the movie theaters twice during the pandemic. Wow. Once in New York to see West Side Story when it opened. And then again in LA to see West Side Story. Wow. <laughs> it's a little sad. But um, this, new, uh, this new film is glorious. Yeah. It's just glorious. I wept. It was stunning. I thought it was so creative. And, you know, David and I have talked a lot that in the theater, mm -hmm. doing a revival of a musical is very common. That's why yeah. we've, we've had so many different Broadway incarnations of West yeah. Side Story. Um, of all the great classic musicals, they get done and over and over. It's, um, it's rarer to have a movie remake or yeah. a movie revival, if you want to call it that. But my favorite thing about stage revivals is when there's a new take or there's some new level of resonance or there's an interesting casting choice. Um, like there was a, a Broadway revival of West Side Story. I, I can't remember what year, 10 years ago or 15 maybe now, where they did all of the um, scenes with the sharks and with Maria in Spanish. Oh, and it was a really incredible experience. And while it wasn't my favorite version of the show, I loved that they did that. Yeah. So th I see this film as another in a long tradition of reinventing um, and restaging musicals. I think what's so wonderful about this one is that it gave so much additional context hmm. to the story. And, and that was what really made it special to me. 
Fair so I, I know we're going to dive in deep. Yeah. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. Okay. Just initial thoughts. Yeah, David, you're, I mean, David, you, you create, you've written stuff, you've created stuff, you, you know, you've, you know what it's like to adapt things uh, possibly. And so certainly Tony Kushner had his work cut out for him, bringing this thing to life. And one of the things I discovered in doing research for this show is that Spielberg came to the show from the original Broadway cast album, not the 1961 movie. So if anyone was possibly equipped to do an adaptation of this, that was different, which uh, uh, Milena referred to here. Um, it seemed like Spielberg was the right director, and Kushner, who initially was trepidatious about this, was the right guy to step in to adapt it and change its approach. You know, I'm thinking of um, company from the for using a female lead as opposed to a male lead, which happened, I think, in London as a different take here. What did you think about it before you walked in? And then what are your thoughts about it even now after you walked out and even now all this time later? Yeah, and before going in to see it, I think I was hopeful and terrified. <laughs> uh, I really wanted it to be good. Uh, just it's such a perfect, brilliant piece that I didn't want a bad version of it out living in the world forevermore. And fortunately, everyone stepped up with their A game. And I would say, including and perhaps especially Tony Kushner, mm. he took everything that was brilliant about the original um, stage musical yeah. and even pieces from the 61 film and then brought it into this film and said, yes, and not, well, why don't we try this over here? He took what was there and he built upon it and deepened it. And as Milena said, contextualized it in such uh, a brilliant way. It was breathtaking numerous times going through the story of how he enriched moments with deepening characters, strengthening points of view, but using all the kernels that were already there in the material. Yeah. Yeah, I have to say I agree with probably all three of you. I, I had a lot of, as a Latino, I had a lot of trepidation about this because I'm like, oh, great, another white director is going to come in and tell this story. What are they possibly going to have to say? This thing is one, this thing, I'm so protective of this because we rarely have any Latino classic films that we're involved in that are, you know, revered by the general populace. So I was very nervous that this was going to be a, a clumsy attempt or because Spielberg has been kind of off and on over the last few years as well as a director with some of his movies. So I was worried. Mm -hmm. But after it was, but after that trailer, like Milena, when I saw that trailer, I was like, all right, all right. And then I walked <laughs> in there and afterwards I, I cried at the end. I mean, I sat there with my half a bag of Reese's pieces, just crying in the theater because of so much of the Latino representation here that I knew was missing, but I didn't know how much I was needing it to be a part of the story and seeing like the experiences that I've had growing up, the, the vacillation between Spanish and English, having conversations in Spanish so naturally just pop up and the genius to not put subtitles underneath it. I did so not good. even think that that was an option that could happen. Right. And Spielberg saying I did that because I didn't want English to be the dominant language in this film. I wanted it to be an equal type of approach and then seeing the changes in Bernardo and then adding this element that Chino is a, an educated guy that he wants that Bernardo wants to protect him and get him out of here. Go represent us in a better way. Right. We are the mongrels who first came. You can be something better. You can change people's perception of us, you know, and all of that. It just really and so many things with that, you know, with yeah. Chino, you know, that 
he and Maria are dancing together when she first sees Tony now. Right. That's that's kind of brilliant. And yeah. the whole story plot point with the gun and yes. how that plays out and how it lands, the, the one that mm-hmm. Riff buys lands in, in Chino's uh, hands. Yeah. So that's all pretty amazing. Yeah, Chino is one of my favorite characters. Yeah. Well, they, they, he really tracks as a full human, I think. And I think one of the big differences uh, with the original is the original is very iconic. This is iconic young love. This is people represent things. And now they're much more human. And Chino is a person you really don't get to know at all in the yeah. original. And now they track his whole journey in this complicated way. And the fact, the choice that Tony can't get into the rumble and Chino helps him to yeah. lift that door yeah. Yeah. makes him responsible Okay. on some level for what happened. That's like one example of something that happens over and over again in the movie, which is a small choice that adds far deeper resonance That's to right. the whole thing. Well, causality all the way through. Causality yeah. all the way through. And it's yeah. like, you know, next five years, or is it last five years, where they cross that one moment where they cross as they're telling the story from different, uh, chronologically in different places, uh, Chino and Tony in a way Tony is trying to run from the gang as Chino is trying to be in the gang yeah. but when yeah. he's helping them it's that cross that one moment of crossover until of course the tragic ending but it's that crossover that they finally connect in some way and all the stuff that it leads to is so heartbreaking for sure well, and it's great yeah. because at the uh, I know we'll get into the, all the details but like <laughs> the the new scene with um, Chino, who Chino's got the gun at the boxing ring. Yes. And the other sharks are like, stand down, stand down. And now Chino is the most dangerous of the gang. So yep. he's, his character has done a full reversal by the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Caught up in this idea. And it listen, it is part of our community. Caught up in this idea of being masculine. This idea of macho. This idea of fighting and defending your family. We just saw... To make a little bit of a connection, Will Smith trying to defend what he did during a speech saying Richard Williams was a fierce defender of his family. It's yeah. this mentality you get caught up in when you're not looking at the whole picture and you're caught up in revenge and you're caught up in the pain. And it's tragic, too, because you saw their connection as Bernardo and Chino. You saw that Bernardo loved Chino, wanted to help Chino, wanted Chino to aspire to be more, to not be them. So it's almost like a father saying to his son, you know, I box so you don't have to. I struggle so you don't have to. I yeah, want you to totally. do. And that is a huge part of the immigrant Latino community. My father said that to me many, many times. And it's I loved how that touched uh, what we were going through. Um, another connective here, and let's talk about this, Maria, right? Rachel Zegler being Latina of Colombian descent here. Uh, the entire cast, I think there was 34 Puerto Rican characters, 20 of which were actually of Puerto Rican descent or Puerto Rican. And the rest were all Latinos of that, or Latinx, however you want to use the term. But um, what did you feel about Rachel Zegler's performance versus Natalie Wood's performance? And I'll go to uh, Milena on this one. Milena, thoughts on the performances between both of these actresses and how they handled it and how did you feel Rachel's um, modernization, so for lack of a better term, even though it is set in the 1950s, what you felt about her performance here, especially as an 18-year-old? Oh my gosh. Well, she was transcendent. Mm. I thought she was just stunning. Her voice is glorious. And, you know, that actually, for me, that is the biggest improvement in the Mm. Tony and Maria performances across the board is the fact that they're doing their own singing. Mm. You know, those two actors, um, Natalie Wood and Richard Boehmer back in the day, uh, were overdubbed with a different singer 
singing all the stuff. So they were lip syncing to someone else <laughs> in those performances. And while the performances in 1961 movie were great, um, there's a there's a hair of a disconnect when it's not their voices. But mm. when you hear them go from speeching, speech, speeching, talking, <laughs> speeching. from speech to singing, um, and and it's you you sense that connection in a visceral way. And so across the board, that heightened both those performances for me. Mm. Um, Rachel brought so much authenticity. Um, I think her age was a huge asset. I think mm. Natalie Wood was like in her late 20s when yeah. she did the role. Yeah. And um, that youthfulness and the ambition that she has, which I think also plays in the stage version and in the original movie, mm. but they really heightened it. I think I think in the writing, the moments where she puts on the lipstick and she's going to be, she's going to go out and then Bernardo gets home and she takes it off. <laughs> <laughs> and then she puts it on again before she leaves. So we see her struggle even with that staging and that's Spielberg and Kushner that's coming right. up with that. Yeah. That that those details in that staging really illuminates her her perspective and her drive and her want yeah. in this story. Um I also love it looks the like they froze up a little. I don't know from my angle. But... Uh -oh. oh, there you are. You're right. moving again. Are we okay. moving again? Sorry. Yes. Oh, you guys are um, fine. Yeah. But uh, no, I thought she was perfect casting mm -hmm. and she had so much depth. Um, it's very rare for an actor that young with that little experience right? to give a performance like that, to have the confidence to give a performance like that. And again, I got to. I got to give props to, to our friend, Mr. Spielberg, for creating an environment where a young actor like that can blossom, where they're not intimidated or scared, um, but really uh, nurtured into that. And, um, you know, as an, as an actor myself who started young, I, that's, that's not an easy thing to create. So. These kids um, nowadays, they have such inner confidence nowadays. Where, where, where was the, where's the struggle <laughs> and the, the doubt? Where is all that? Cause she has just embraced it at such a young age and also on social media. And now she's going to be in what Shazam and she's the snow white. Like it's incredible to see how quickly she's ascending to iconic status. She merely tossed a tweet out that she wasn't invited to the Oscars and people went insane and she got invited six uh, days yeah. later, which is crazy. Wow. Yeah. Uh, David, what did you think about how they approached the Maria character here? And and if you can and, and what did you think about Tony to throw it in? I mean, Tony is given this new background that is mm. he almost murdered a rival gang member. He's got anger issues. And the doc job or the job at docs is more like a last post for him, yeah. last outpost from rather than, hey, the youth board said I have to be here, so I'm here, and I'm happy doing it. This is more like, this has got to work, or I'm lost. Mm -hmm. right. So what did you think about how they approached Tony? All the things you are bringing up, I think, just really enriched both Tony and Maria. The, the backstories that were brought to bear, um, Tony, you know, having been in prison for a year when he comes back, mm -hmm. you know, probation officers, why he can't go to the dance, he can't go out and be with you know, the Jets in any way, I think that just brought so much to the role and to us caring about him and seeing that anger streak in him was really interesting because in the 61 version, you just see a good guy. Yeah. You don't quite see yeah. the the Jet in him as much. Right. We don't know why he's the 
the like preeminent jet. Right. Yeah. We right. only know it in the 61 movie because Riff says so. Correct. <laughs> right. 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 But in this, you know, when Tony starts beating Bernardo and you see that look in his eye, you go and he had also they beautifully set it up when he's talking to Riff. You know, I almost killed that guy. I don't want to be that. I, I went I felt a darkness in me. And all of that was just so, so and his beautifully confession done. to Maria to, to and the Maria. Cloisters, the yeah. new scene yeah. at the Cloisters, which was phenomenal. Like yeah. to having having that whole sequence replace the dress shop. Mm. So uh, going into one hand, one heart was phenomenal. Yeah. That whole sequence on the subway and um yeah, yeah sorry not to, not no, to um, <laughs> maria no it's fine <laughs> a lot of causality was created yeah. by just starting like dropping the little easter egg of that backstory yeah. yeah and with maria similarly you know she had been there five years before her brother showed up right she had established herself she's a little older she's paying rent um she's trying to find her way of assimilating or not and, you know, all of that was really, really beautifully done. You know, Melina talked about the lipstick moment. There are a number of moments where, um, you know, the movie is six minutes longer than the 61 mm -hmm. version. Which is crazy. But, yes. But it's, um, there's all these little behavioral moments that Spielberg and Kushner found, like the lipstick, like the, the scherzo when she wakes up in the morning and she tries to mess up her bed. Um, that seems so great. It's so it's incredible. It's so awesome. It's, yeah. It's so good. You yeah. you get into And fun the, fact, that music is pulled from the ballet, ballet. from the stage production. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, all right. Yeah. So it's part, part of somewhere originally. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought it was a really good programmatic use of it. It was right. very clever. And she was perfectly in time with it. You know, it was beautifully choreographed. But it was also getting into her mind, getting into this love story. Mm. Those moments really brought the love story uh, to life even more, I think. Yeah. Steve, thoughts on the love story here? I mean, uh, Elena, I mean, sorry, Elena and, uh, and uh, David have been going deep onto this. And what was your feeling as you watched the different approaches to both of these characters? And then, as uh, Melina mentioned, them changing the location of from the dress shop to the cloisters. And then seeing this more potent energy between the both of them and their heads not in the clouds, Steve, like it is in the 1961 version where they're like, oh, everything's going to work out. We're going to be great. They're more realistic about how this could implode on them. And so that scene in the cloisters has more strength to it by the end because it gives them hope to believe in a possibility that will, won't happen, sadly, tragically doesn't happen but still adds another layer to their relationship and their connection that makes the audience connect to them even more. So if you were to go back and listen to our original West Side Story episode, <laughs> which I strongly recommend you do, nice one, of my, one of my favorite moments is when I revealed how angry Tony and Maria make me because of their naivete and the poor choices they make <laughs> and their lack of responsibility. And this movie solves all of that. Mm. Is that and what's interesting, Melena, you mentioned that Maria... She has so much more youth because the actress is younger. And what I think is incredible is that she is both more youthful and more mature. Yeah. Right. Because, mm -hmm. because she is thinking about this whole situation. And yeah. so, and I think the, you know, that trip to the cloisters is them going, no, this is a big deal. We yeah. understand this problem. And yet, and, and I even get a better sense of their love for each other because of it, because you can see them, even though we have this big struggle that we're still, on the same page 
on some level. And I think, and, and, and David, what you mentioned, in some ways, this movie clarified a thing for me, which is, you know, I've talked about this idea before of how many good ideas does it take to make a great movie? Mm -hmm. And in this movie, it's literally, oh, they put the camera right there. Oh, yeah. they have more of the... Um, the fire escape between them as they're trying to talk to each other. Mm. Like, Oh, the camera rolls around. So we're seeing Rita Moreno's reaction while we're hearing this. I mean, just every single, or, or like you think about like, and, and I mentioned this John, when we talked before mm -hmm. the one thing uh, I think if I were to pick straight up choreography, I think the 61 is better. Mm. But if I were to pick what they do with the choreography, how they ground it in this reality and cool being a really good example of it yeah. where, and I love the original cool. That is fantastic. Yes. But this one has so much more storytelling and character in it because they've grounded it within a story, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You, yeah. you touched upon something that Melina and I debated a lot after seeing it, you know, the, uh, <laughs> the how cool was reapproached and that yeah. from a story standpoint it is off the charts great what they do with it and we both miss the original choreography yeah, yeah. the uh, original cool is like some of my favorite choreography ever and so i really miss that mm -hmm. and that whole group number however um dramaturgically it's so much stronger yeah. where it is and uh, interestingly, there are some stage productions that flip-flop Cool and I Feel Pretty. That's right. Because in the movie, that's where I Feel Pretty happens. And right. then Cool comes after the rumble. And now we have Cool before the rumble and I Feel Pretty as the relief after it. Um, yeah, and, and I Feel Pretty coming after the rumble makes uh, it all the more tragic. It makes yeah. it all because you know what's going to happen. And setting it in gimbals, I think, was kind of genius I, was fantastic. Oh, I loved it oh, loved it yeah, yeah. It, I think you know it's always been the most challenging song to kind of earn mm -hmm. and the placement of it and the location of it really like mm -hmm. you even could sell the that weird lyric or maybe it's fleas she picks up <laughs> sand, sand yeah. and throws it I was like this yeah. they thought of everything to make yeah. it feel like it's coming out of the moment yeah. it's yeah. just the whole, really the whole good. film is so much more grounded and so much more realistic this time around. Yeah. Yet it's still very theatrical. Yeah. And yeah. it still embraces the tone of of the uh, the source material and um you know what just hearkening back to the subway ride up to the cloisters and that whole new sequence mm. just giving that the gravity and and uh but funnily enough the transition into the subway we talked they, about this. Did we did we talk about this? Well, we talked yeah. about some other original. one. How yeah. the new yeah. subways? There's some sort of uh, converter that makes the tritone. Yeah. That's what the subway does now. They put that sound into the movie. Yeah. yeah. In the transition as they start walking yeah. down the street. and it's not the right subway sound. No, those cars back then did not have the fancy electric the 50s, converter. But we will uh, accept that. But it's there. I was I was giddy. Yeah. Um, but as far as like what Steve was saying about um, changing the locations of some of these big yeah. um, uh, production numbers, it's the, the, the 61 film was more true to the stage. Yes. And, yeah. you know, America was on a rooftop because mm -hmm. when you're on a stage, you can set up a rooftop pretty easily <laughs> and you have a contained space where the number happens and you have to on stage you need to um reuse sets so we're using the dress shop slash their apartment 
over and over for sets. And so the 61 film was, uh, was more in that vein. Right. And by really opening up the locations, which you can do in a film so much easier, I think you got, you again, get so much more context and yeah. um, having cool on the docks was so exciting. Having, I feel pretty in the dress shop made it uh, so, so real. Cause, cause of course that the community, that's a community of women that when somebody else comes off, comes, shows up in a town right off the boat. Oh, come with me. I'll get you a job. Right. The night shift right. cleaning night shift at the gimbals. department store, you yeah. know, yeah. Yeah. and it just, it makes sense. Everything just makes sense. And I think my, my favorite, if we're talking about choreography reinvention is America mm. to just to move that into the street and make it an, an a number about the entire community. It's no longer the sharks. It's right. the whole community. It's, it's everybody and feeling it and seeing all the different locations is just, it was glorious. And then the kids dancing at the end, yeah. the, like a little dozen of the young kids get up and start doing things. If you just feel that this is, um, we're seeing the fabric of this community. Well, I, I compare it to In the Heights, right? There's that mm -hmm. sequence around the community where they have those dancing and then dancing on the on the walls, on the side of the walls, they're the great allusion yeah. to Fred Astaire. It's about Washington Heights. That's right. what they're celebrating. America is about celebrating America, right? As as an immigrant, right? And that's what the lyrics are telling you. And we saw it in the 1961 original on the rooftop and Anita's going at Bernardo. Bernardo's coming up some very funny stuff. But switching it out onto the street, first of all, it allows Anita to have the power even more so throughout because of that bright yellow dress. And mm -hmm. she's the one you're focusing on. But you're having them show all the sights of America within their neighborhood that they love, that they appreciate, yeah. that they feel unbound by now being here that they're kind of so have some kind of connection or possession of that allows them to feel at least a piece of this country and i love that throughout steve what did you think about the differences in terms of the staging you mentioned the choreography that's what started us here do you like the choreography here for america or do you like the choreography in the 1961 original so it's funny right uh, an hour or so before we did this i sent you and i don't know if you got a chance to look someone cut together mm. both versions of america and intercut oh. them and it really illustrates this so well. And it's, it's Melania, it's exactly, I had the same thought that you did. It is ex the, the one on the rooftop is like you're on a stage. Yeah. And it's fantastic. And Rita Moreno is amazing. And the, you know, they're, it's, they're just, it's great. But opening it up to the streets created so much more energy. First of all, those costumes are absolutely oh spectacular. God. The use of color oh, is amazing. So and, and, and then this is the thing, you know, I've said this before on our podcast that I think, Spielberg following in the tradition of Alfred Hitchcock is the greatest storyteller of filmmakers mm. in terms of clearly showing you exactly what you want need to see so that you understand what's going on and if you look at America what he does throughout is like when they're talking about you know they make you pay twice or whatever that is yeah. someone's mm -hmm. buying something yeah it's that he's yeah. using visual moments within the song to actually illustrate the points that are being made rather than just a staged dance thing which it was so funny about this conversation all four of us love that 1961 movie oh, yeah love we it. all love yeah. it Absolutely. and so it's not and i I'm, always will yeah <laughs> i'm never gonna say anything negative about that but i do have like wow the, there are so many choices another one by the way you asked about the choreography and i don't know quite a melina maybe you could oh steve froze a little bit for am i back 
Am I there? Yeah, you're back now, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, your voice is back. There you go. Okay. Okay. Um, is uh, Melania? Maybe you could speak about the choreography more specifically. But it was like in the in the original, they've told us that fighting is dancing, mm-hmm. and in this one, it's more like they dance through real fights. You know what I mean? There's an like anger the, to the dancing here. Yeah. Well, yeah. and it is. I mean, and as a martial arts person, they're doing real fighting things. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, but they're doing it to the rhythm and within a dance sort of structure. It seems like. Yeah. No, I, I and I love that. I that was one of my favorite things about the the opening, the um, the, the yeah. whole opening prologue, was that it gets violent. Hmm. And again, I feel like the '61 movie was just hanging more traditionally onto a stage version where you can't really do that because nobody can do that eight times a week without somebody getting hurt (laughs) and you don't have camera cheats and all that. But um, yeah, to actually make this really violent and make these make Riff and Bernardo intimidating figures. It's wonderful. And what's great about it is the choreography goes right into the violence and right back out of it. It's not, they're not different things. To me, they're all one thing. You go in from doing a, a jeté and then you're, then you come out of it and punch a guy. It is great. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that's what you always want it to be. It's, it's the same with the dialogue going into song. You don't want it to feel like, and now we're going to sing, you know, it's not a different thing. It's the same emotional moment. You're just using your body or your voice or your expression in a different way. But like that subtextual through line, it, it just stays strong. The and that energy is sorry. Go ahead, John. You know, I was going to say it solved the problem of that. People have made fun of the film for 50 years of the whole dancing. And then I'm going to punch you. It made it more potent yeah. to see right. the combination in this version for sure. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, no, the cohesion between the dance and the violence, um, it's it's all united now. And you also see, like, if you think about the paint can, someone getting hit by, with a paint can when they're right in that first moment when they're putting yeah. paint all over the, the wall. Yeah. And it's on a downbeat. It's musical. Yeah. But it is all of a sudden okay, this is something new for us now. And baby John getting the nail in his ear. You, you, just, right. you just sense more and more violence. But mm-hmm. even in the dance itself, like Mike Faced, who we got to just talk about this guy. Yeah, I, I was going to, yeah, oh, definitely I mean, going to be the next subject. Yeah, He is just amazing because there's so many traps to that role. And there's such, uh, I, I would imagine an actor would have such a seduction of trying to do Russ Tamlin in some way. And instead, he found his version of it, which was scary and intimidating and broken and all these wonderful things. But when he is fighting at the end of Cool and he does his final dance turn there and has his final line to Tony, you sense the violence in this guy Mm -hmm. through dance. Yeah. The dancing is is the epitome of the loose cannon. Right. Yeah. That he is. Right. And that performance I is maybe my favorite (laughs) in the movie because it's there's like David said, there's so many traps there and there's, it's so easy to overplay a lot of that, but you sense him just trying to keep himself in control all the time by underplaying all these moments. And so that when he does bust out and you see it come, like it, it feels inevitable and the dance and the dance really 
is what is coming out of him. That's his true, all that anger and bitterness and resentment and rage. That's all coming out in the dance versus in the dialogue necessarily. So I, I found it. It's also a, a setup and payoff all the way through. So if you think yeah. about cool, that moment, I'm going to say exactly scene. the same thing, David. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. The scene is in the bar where he's buying the gun. Yeah. The Irishman behind the bar is, starts talking about pointing. He just puts it up to his head. It's brilliant. You know, might as well. He mentions his dad. So the bartender saying, his dad. you remind me of your dad. Yeah. And that's why he sells the gun. And then it's like, yeah. that we just feel again with all the contextualizing that um, Tony Kushner did we feel who Riff is. We get a sense right. of where he came from and that he's in some ways the most fatalistic character because he's he's doomed. Yeah. yeah. He yeah. and everybody else knows it. Even uh, Officer Shrank. Shrank, yeah. Is like, you know, you're going to end up in Rikers, mark my word, you know. Well, and I think that's what what's great about Riff and Steve, I want to get your thoughts on this as well. I mean, um, with Tony, there is this feeling of like, this has got to work or else I'm going to end up in prison for the rest of my life. With Riff, it's more like they're taking everything away from me. So what do I have left to live for? I'm going to fight for this till they kill me. And so mm -hmm. there is more of a, I don't know, more of a fatalistic approach to this Riff where the Riff in the 1961 original is more hopeful about getting a piece of our land, a territory, you know, getting that piece of land. This is more from the beginning, seeing that developer sign, you know, seeing the rubble, which of course mirrors the opening of the 1961 original, but seeing the rubble and it symbolizes something else. It symbolizes that uh, gentrification is happening, that they're all being moved out regardless of that. And so Riff is taking that on. And since he can't fight the developers or the police or the rich people, he fights the Puerto Ricans. They're the most immediate thing. And in a way, it's working this new approach to this uh, 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 version of West Side Story in that um, they want you to fight amongst yourselves so that you don't fight them. And it seems like that's the approach they were having here. And Riff really symbolizes that. What's yeah. your take on Mike Faist's um, a version of Riff compared to Russ Tamlin's and how he's kind of symbolizing this approach that they're taking Kushner and Spielberg with retelling the story. I think he's absolutely fantastic. I agree with everything that's been said. And I think what's, what's so interesting about his character is how it resonates throughout and changes all the relationships around him. Because mm. it's like, we're told in the first movie that he and Tony are, you know, running buddies and that Tony was a big part of the gang, but I don't have a sense of their relationship right. in the 61 film. Yeah. Whereas here I do. And I see two things. One is, Riff desperately needs Tony emotionally. It's not just that he needs him to, to for this rumble, is that he needs this guy to keep him level. And Tony is more like, you know, someone who's an alcoholic and they go into a program and you can't hang out with your friends that drink anymore. Is <laughs> Tony's got that anger in him, yeah. he's yeah. got that violence in him, and he can't be around Riff. Right. You know, and then also because of the placement of cool and what they do with it is where yeah. before, which I always disliked, was Tony convinces them to do like a one man on one man thing. Right. right and right. then Maria convinces him to go back and stop the whole fight. I'm like, no, no, you were good. <laughs> like, that's really <laughs> dumb. Um, whereas in this one, Tony has failed yeah. to stop it. Yeah. That's a way better motivation. So like all of these things and then what it builds to man riff's death is yeah i mean it wrecked me it was, it was so incredibly yeah. done yeah it, and i think it's a crime that 
more of the Academy voters didn't see this movie. I think it's a crime that they don't understand. As you two pointed out, Milena and David, the uh, the pitfalls of this character, which makes what Mike Face did with this character even more of a standout performance, even yeah. more of one worthy of an Oscar nomination. Absolutely. Um, right. and, and I agree with you, uh, uh, Milena. I think he is the best part of the movie, even though everyone's, gr- for the most part, is great. His is this battering ram of combustible live wire energy, as Steve pointed out, affecting everyone around him. Whereas Russ is not as much of a battering ram. Right. Face right. is like, do what I want or everything ends. Like, it's just But so you fitness. also get these tiny moments of vulnerability from him. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. In, the, in the basement of the, of the store that, yeah. like, he's standing on the stairs, and I don't remember the line is, but he's like, you know, I got nothing left. Yeah. You know, and what am I supposed to look forward to? And, and even earlier in that scene where uh, they're talking through, um, through, as the, he's, shelves, through yeah. the shelves yeah. and Tony starts talking about his time upstate and, and had some time to think. And you just the, it's a reverse on riff listening. And you see in face eyes this pain of like we're growing apart. Yeah. And he yeah. cuts he's like, you know, maybe you're just too deep for me now and <laughs> walks away. And you just know he can't go there and survive. And then. His dancing. And then his dancing. <laughs> I mean, that is, he is one of the finest dancers that I've seen on screen. Wow. His technique is fantastic. Mm-hmm. He is, it, I mean, you could put him in a ballet company. He is that good. It's strong. And praise. so you put, you put that level of skill on top of, I think, a completely Oscar worthy acting performance and he's singing on top of it and he's scary yeah <laughs> doing all of it at the same time i the, the degree of difficulty in that role is just extraordinary and he nailed it for me let's hit let's do some super chats here they're building up here uh, this phil phil o'brien saying a uh, slight sidebar to discuss in addition to west side story question for the four of you what broadway show would you like to see get the full film treatment either again or for the first time mm-hmm. fun to have musicals talk all right. <laughs> boy, I don't oh, know. Oh boy. my gosh, that's a hard question. All of them? Yeah. <laughs> Can we just do just a, a new movie musical every month for the yeah. rest of our lives? That would be nice. Um, boy, I don't know. That's really tough. Got to think on it for a second. I think I'd love a new Sweeney Todd. As much that was as what I was going to say. I was going there, but I avoided because we just, yeah. we don't have a Sweeney Todd. I, I don't want to jump just wasn't on, very on. No, good. there's nothing wrong with. I mean, the Tim Burton one is okay, but I I missed the chorus. I missed the I missed yeah. the dread of that not coming and the back singing, to the whole movie. Like, and people yeah. were singing well in that, but yeah, those, mm. those deserve big Broadway voices. I agree. And, I guess that, that would. I I guess that's what I would say, regardless of whatever musical it is. I would love for West Side Story to uh, this this version of West Side Story to usher the way into actually hiring people that can sing and dance and also act for these roles. It makes a massive difference. And I know you don't get there are only a handful of movie stars like you have your Hugh Jackman and, you know, there's there's not a lot of others (laughs) that can do it all. But they are out there, and it's a great opportunity for young people too. And I, I would just hope that the the producers of the world that are looking at me doing musicals would would really strongly consider that. You know what would make a very interesting feature that uh, would be odd, but actually I think would adapt very well to a film is Hadestown. Yes, oh, which I've never seen. 
see that. Yeah. 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 That would be great. That's a great idea. That's my vote. Hades Town. All right. I think Milena was referencing Chicago. I'm not going to say that. Uh, Steve, what would you what would you say? <laughs> what would you redo? Is there one you'd redo or want to see? Well, on I stage? think it's I think it's hilarious that all of us were thinking Sweeney Todd. Yeah, because um, that was a good, that was my answer too. Because it it just doesn't have the depth and the power that the you know I listen to that soundtrack over and over again. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just the movie just isn't that. George Hearn um, is still my favorite uh, to ever do it. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable and uh so the one that uh, just occurred to me is you is what richard linkletter is doing right now which is do you know what he's doing no he is doing merrily we roll along over the next 20 years the way he did boyhood boyhood are you serious that's yes wow you know who the cast is uh i do not oh so it doesn't matter i'll google it later oh that's fascinating what year isn't it what what year are they in yeah, i think they, i think they're like two years in okay something like that wow the way wow yeah <laughs> um all right let's move on to some other ones here uh mckenzie asked and mckenzie's got a few here so what are your thoughts on spielberg not including the instrumental reprise of america when the jets attack anita this reprise to me subtly symbolized the destruction of anita's american dream interesting uh thoughts um i think their homage to that moment is when um, one of the jets turns on the jukebox. Right. Mm. It's not America. It's, it's, the, Mambo. it's Mambo. I think it's Mambo. Yeah, it's Mambo. So yeah. the moment is still there. I think they they shifted it, and I I actually like that because it's it's more uh, diegetic into the piece. It's not it's not score. It's it's in the room. And there's a moment where it's on and then there's a moment where it gets turned off. And so it becomes um, much more intentional in the scene. And so I, I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, David, Steve, any thoughts? Well, I, same answer. Yeah. <laughs> Here's what I would say. I think the use of America in the original version was absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. I think it absolutely, I mean, we can't, I can't say that scene isn't an amazing scene. And I think this scene is so painful and so scary that i wouldn't yeah i would not change a fucking thing i mean the 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 girlfriends trying to get her out yeah and and anybody saying don't go in there and all of the and then rita moreno man i mean like it is so it's very powerful and and, um as david pointed out when we were re-watching it that it's graziella that starts it Mm -hmm. she says oh you come in here speaking spanish and that starts getting people riled up right Right. Not that it wouldn't happen without her saying that, but that's the first thing that's said. And then the and then the uh, girls trying to protect her, trying to pull her out. And I didn't notice it until this time we, when we watched it again yesterday. That if you see out the window, the girls mm-hmm. are there. Oh yeah, entire scene, and more of them have come. Yep, there's a whole group of the girls at the window. Um, trying to get them to stop and then all just standing there when um, when Valentina comes out. There's also with anybody's the just yeah. at the moment when they finally get acceptance. The good job, buddy boy. Yeah. Good job, buddy boy. Walk through that threshold and has to make a choice and says, leave. Yeah. And yeah. still, you know, has has the humanity yeah. um, in them. So that I thought scene that was is just it's phenomenal so and I said, as soon as levels. we saw that movie for the first time i said 
I pointed to Ariana DeBose and I was like, that is the hardest job in the movie business <laughs> is to be given a role and to do an Oscar winning speech to the lady that won the Oscar for it. <laughs> How do you like not get self-conscious? How do you not get in your head? How yeah. do you make it your own? She's standing right there. Your idol. Like, oh my gosh. I, as a, as an actor, I would. Serious props <laughs> for that. I, yeah, I think that's I why the movie like works. Much yeah. less, you know, give the whole emotional speech like that. Right. It's the guts, the confidence of all these actors that makes yeah. the movie works. It work, you know, because even, even if you're not uh, Anita DeBose, it, you're you're Mike Faced or you're Ansel or you're you know Rachel, she's still there, Rita, and yeah. she's the executive producer. So that feeling of am I capturing what they yeah. want? And then of course, when you hear Rita, she speaks about certain things that bothered her since the beginning about yeah. right. the movie. Yeah. So in a way, they were kind of being her vessels of change. Well, she's uh, such in, a in generous. Service. Um, collaborator from yeah. I mean I don't know her personally but for everything I know of her and everything I've seen she's very open and very encouraging very mm. nurturing and so from from what I've heard that she was very much a resource on the set and oh, yeah. happy to talk to people and um, give them her counsel however they needed it and and it's a be brilliant a piece of casting you know I think that we saw something about how Spielberg called her and said, we want you to come do this. And she said, I'm sorry, I don't do cameos. <laughs> yeah. And she's, she's like, like, oh, no, no. Kushner actually wrote you a role. And that they took the Valentina, the, the Puerto Rican point of view yeah. instead of Doc, but she's married to Doc. They're Romeo and Juliet 1.0, and we're watching Romeo and Juliet yeah. 2.0. And yeah. it's yeah. really interesting how that created so much history uh, and understanding and she and yes what Melaine was saying about her being such a great mentor I think that there's there are great actors doing great roles and then there are also great casts yeah and you can sense that this cast had a community that there mm -hmm. was they were all in the same world in the same show supporting each other and I do want to say one more on this uh, Mackenzie you bring up Anita's the destruction of the American dream in a way valentina when she is singing somewhere um having experienced her own interracial relationship thinking that they were paving the way for it to be better for interracial relationships coming behind them in a way her dream of that goal is destroyed so yeah. rita morena again is singing about the destruction of something that she had believed in as a different character in the same in a version of the same movie and mm -hmm. just incredible how that works. And the way that movie. song starts with her and doc and with we the photograph. yeah. photographs oh, yeah. together is beautiful. Milena and I have a little bit of a controversial. Well, We're going to talk about things that we maybe didn't. Yeah. Let's, let's get to that in a little bit. I figure we would talk All about right. that. Gansy <laughs> um, also wants to know, what are your thoughts on Spielberg? Not including, Oh, I already said that. Oh, no. Sorry. Uh, Mackenzie asked another one. He says, what are your thoughts on G officer Krupke's placement? Steve, you're talking about placement of these movies or songs. I wish it was done after the rumble because in this version, it felt like we lost the jets after the rumble until the scene with Anita. So what do you think about that? Uh, Steve? 
Well, I definitely don't want it to be after the rumble. I think, you know, that's things are too heavy for that song. I think I'm Krupke's the one I'm the most mixed on, actually, in terms okay. of what they did with it. Uh, Putting it mostly. In the police station. Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, I think the staging at the police station is really cool. Mm-hmm. And they did all sorts of inventive things as they do throughout the movie. I wanted Riff to be in it. You know, I think mm. that's the biggest thing. I wanted Riffin off Officer Krupke. Thing. Yeah. Really? Like, I don't care that much about those characters. I don't really know them. And awesome. Russ Tamblin sort of leads the whole song in the 61 version, right? Yeah, yeah that, you, that, you, that's what I missed. But you took cool from the guys and gave it to Riff. So you got to let the guys have something without Riff, I feel like. I think I don't, have to, I don't have to do anything. Sort of <laughs> do whatever I want. Uh, Fine. 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 Yeah. Steve, counterpoint to what you're saying, I, I liked it for the reason that I felt like we got to know this, the other Jets right. yeah. more. Yeah. We got to see more of them and get their personalities and their points of view. And the staging was so wonderful and clever and fun. Um, I, I would not want to see that after the rumble. I don't think that the tone just wouldn't sell. But um, I, I liked that we got to know those characters a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Counterpointing her counterpointing. <laughs> um, I, yes, I, I definitely think the placement of it worked pretty well. I liked that it was used as we know there's going to be a rumble. You need to tell us where it's going to be. Mm-hmm. That was a good use of that, that song. It was a good place for it. But without us having riff there, we don't really have a sense of the sharks. We have a sense of a few people that we kind of know on the periphery, mm. but it's, it's not their story, you know, and we you need, the jets? The, sorry, the jets. Yeah. And it's not their story. And, and so it's, we need an anchor point with someone like Riff there, even if he's not driving the scene. That's yeah. my opinion. And are we sad that Brian Darcy James doesn't sing one word in the whole movie? I, I, know, know. I know. One of the most glorious voices on that thing. Oh, I know. And yet he still he found the so button. He was so funny though. Oh God, he was so great. Yeah. Was he great. was Still just fabulous. <laughs> All of his moments were fantastic. Yep. Uh, Mackenzie also wants to know, do you think Spielberg should have done either I Feel Pretty or A Boy Like That in Spanish like they did in the 2009 revival production? It, it, let me answer this one first. I will say this. It would have been nice, but I don't think we're there yet as a society. We're going to get there because more and more Latino stories are finally being told in mainstream ways. And Spielberg alluded in an interview that Spanish is the second language here in the United States, obviously. So I think the time is coming where we will have a version of this film, maybe 20, 30, 40 years from now again, that has a number all in Spanish. And and it's more accepted amongst the mainstream audience. Would have been nice to see. But I think with what he created, the fact that there was so much Spanish already in the movie, I think would might have been a bridge too far if he had thrown that song, any of those songs in in Spanish. What do you guys think? Well, um, I... I have a couple thoughts about it. The hmm. uh, the first thing is you sort of need to set the tone for the whole show. You can't really just have all of a sudden we have one song that's in Spanish. Right. Good point. You, yeah. you need to make a stronger storytelling choice in, in the, uh, thank you. The revival of uh, which I spoke of was in 2009. Right. So I don't understand time clearly, um, <laughs> but it's uh, in that production I Feel Pretty was in Spanish and mm-hmm. A Boy Like That was in Spanish. You know, they, they, they made the choice to have all those songs in another language and it was a, it was cohesive throughout the thing. So you can't really just drop in and say, let's just have one or two in Spanish. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the thing about A Boy Like That that would be 
and I, having seen that production, um, I am not a Spanish speaker and mm. I'm also a big fan of opera. So I'm used to watching things in other languages, but so I think I would go on the ride for that. But as you said, our audience isn't attuned to that. And it's also such massive pivotal character moments for mm-hmm. both of them, the, both Anita and Maria, that if, if you lose the context, if your audience, and it's a long, that's a long two, it's two songs. It's, yeah. it's a boy like that. And I have a love. So you're doing this whole sequence. And if your audience checks out, you, you really lose a lot. Yeah, the way they constructed it, Anita was very clear. Speak English, speak English. So you had that Latina character, which is a thing in the Latino community. Certainly my mom was always saying that, speak English. So, yeah. Um, Sorry, David, you were going to say? Well, actually, I was just going to bring up the same thing, John, Mm -hmm. that they do set it up in the story quite nicely with that moment where, you know, David Alvarez is, he keeps reverting to Spanish. He's like, English, it's great, great moment. But it sets up that she is trying to assimilate. And that, yeah. you know, she expects everyone to be speaking English in the house. So that does support it. Um, you know, and then there's the technical side of the lyricist having made contributions. These are the lyrics to this musical yeah. by changing it into Spanish. That's difficult. I think I can't remember. I'm probably going to be wrong on both points. But I think the 2009 was directed by Arthur Lawrence, oh. who wrote the, the book. And yeah, the, the, the translations were Lin-Manuel. Yeah. They were. Um, oh, yeah. So. Uh, so, you know, there was some precedent for it, certainly. I think that the the response from the audience for that particular production was, I just felt lost for a while. Yeah. So um, my feeling about this, first of all, I loved all the Spanish that was in the film. Mm-hmm. And I think they did a great job. Kushner did a great job of, now I, you know, I took a little bit of high school Spanish, so maybe it, it was easier for me, but of making it a line where even if you didn't understand what they were saying, you understood what they were saying because yes. of how it was intercut with English, because of how it was said that you were able to follow along. And I would have been happy with more Spanish like that. But yeah. I would say in terms of I feel pretty and uh, what was the other song? Boy uh, Like That. I've, Boy Like That. Thank you. Um, there's a certain point where it's like, if it's working, don't fuck with it. <laughs> I feel pretty is fucking an amazing number there's so much they added to it and what i loved is it it went away from being sort of vain and youthful to being silly and you know just this yeah Mm -hmm. and and it's like no it was fantastic so i wouldn't change a goddamn thing is what i would say very angry (laughs) uh brendan mars says i love this film one of the things i loved about it is the casting of rita moreno instead of it being just a cameo her role as Valentina, as Valentina, is a fully fleshed out character who adds so much to the story. I also love that you got to sing somewhere. So, since so that, that I think that leads to something that Melina was referring to. So let's talk about um, Rita Moreno's Valentina. We, uh, David mentioned, uh, yeah, she had did that interview when she said, "I don't do cameos." <laughs> about and maybe explain why Russ Hamlin isn't in the movie either. He doesn't do cameos. He's right. still walking the earth. So. Um, but the way they like mixed her into here was so interesting uh, and so fascinating. But um, clearly, I've heard from quite a few people that didn't like that she is the one that gets to sing uh, somewhere near the end there. That they felt it should have been maybe Tony and Maria who do that, or in the way it works. What did you guys think about how Rita Moreno was weaved into this as Valentina, and then were there any kind of negatives uh, throughout the movie about it? Well, why don't I take the first part and you take the second part? I mean, we haven't t- rehearsed, but I know we we both have very similar feelings about this. So, 
I love that somewhere starts with uh, Valentina and mm-hmm. on the picture of her and Doc and highlighting everything that you brought up about her trying, hoping, dreaming to pave the way for interracial relationships and having just had a huge tragedy. Um, It's wonderful. And she is so great. However, giving her the entire song and having that theme, that musical theme assigned to that character is a huge loss in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So if I had one note for Mr. Spielberg, (laughs) (laughs) so far be it for me to tell him what to do. He's home watching. Yeah, I know. I'm sure he is. Yeah. Um, But I thought it would have been lovely if after this, the first verse is Valentina and then it would hand off to Maria, who Mm -hmm. actually is the one that should be singing that song. Right. Right. Um, And so then it becomes their mutual song. Valentina's handing off, her hope to Maria and it's then, 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 and because that theme is such a fatalistic theme, it has hope to it, but it has, it's the, it's the signs of tragedy. We know love is doomed. The the whole idea of someday is not today. Right. And we know not today and it's never happening today, but we're going to dream anyway. Right. So the problem really comes at the end of the movie. Right. And, Is that my handoff? Yeah, that's your, that's your <laughs> you, can, you can talk about why I was so mad. <laughs> okay. So um, when Tony is dying and Maria is there singing to him in the 61 on the stage forevermore, it's always been singing somewhere there. And instead she's singing tonight. Yeah. Night is falling in love. It's hope. It's all these, it's not the right mood. There's it's, nothing fatalistic it's Twitter about pated. it. It's, right. and it's the wrong theme. It's the wrong, it's the wrong theme. Somewhere. <laughs> and, and the moment between Tony and Marie, or however it's been done in dream ballets and everything else, but mm-hmm. the sentiment has always been, we're aware that this is going to be a tragedy when we hear that song. When we hear them say, there's a place for us. You know, yeah. there's even a, a verse to it that begins, I will take you away, take you far, far away from here. Like all of that sentiment is missing. It is also from a musical standpoint, such a glorious melody. Mm-hmm. And it was treated beautifully by Rita. But when you have it in one room with her doing a, uh, an introspective moment, it doesn't fully support what that song can do mm-hmm. or should do. So from an emotional standpoint, from a musical standpoint, that was a that was unfortunate from our perspective. Mm. Yeah, okay. it also it it lent a, a whole nother issue, which is the staging of the the final scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rachel did a beautiful job. It was not nearly as, in my opinion, not nearly as emotional as Natalie Wood's performance. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that had to do is because she didn't have the right setup. She's singing the wrong song. <laughs> she's singing "I Have a Love," right yeah. at, at the end. Are you right? Instead of somewhere, so she's she should she's singing tonight. Yeah, she's sing. It's the it's you're not setting up Maria's tragic mm-hmm. um, place right there. Her tragic emotional place. You're you're setting up a hopeful melody, and then she's the actor is trying to play against that. Right. So 
she was really not set up for success in that final scene. She did a great job. Um, it just didn't have the weight that it could have had. What's interesting, though, a little historical um, knowledge here before we go for in the, the 1957 stage production ended with her singing I Have a Love Not um, somewhere. Somewhere was only changed in the movie. Mm. And, and every production since has done it that way. Mm. So maybe this is Spielberg's decision because, as I said at the beginning of this, the Broadway cast album is how he came to mm, this right. film. So in his mind, I Have a Love is the somewhere for his experience of it. Mm -hmm. and, but, but, she's I, I, tonight, but so. yeah, but I Have a Love well, is I also... Not, a, it, it, yeah. I mean, I, I, I had forgotten that, but yeah. that also has a, a, a great fatalistic harmonic structure to it. Yeah. You know? So choosing yet a different <laughs> song Some, somewhere if you know from if someone was coming to me and saying we're going to workshop this musical which song should we use here 10 times out of 10 i would say somewhere right. out of any of those songs that's that's the right uh sentiment for that final moment between mm -hmm. them when when he when tony's been shot what did you think steve what do you think um so first of all just going back to uh rita and uh there's a place for us. Um, I 100% agree. I loved it when she started. It was very moving, and I wish it had gotten passed off to Maria. I totally agree with that. Um, it. I didn't bounce on it as much. I actually, it was because I thought her performance was so good in the moment. So it still totally oh, yeah. worked for me. But uh, but musically, in terms of the the sound of it, the harmonics of it, the dissonance of it, or whatever, mm -hmm. that's the part that didn't work for me as much. But it's so, I was still totally in the moment. I didn't get thrown out the way it sounds like you two did. Mm. Yeah, I, I think what it's- What you think I got thrown out the moment, Steve? <laughs> it might've been when you were going back like this. <laughs> I think the overall ending feels rushed, which is ironic considering it's six minutes longer, but it felt rushed. And I didn't feel the, that's the one thing that, that I would take away that bothered me, even though hardly anything bothered me about this version. Yeah. That ending, it I didn't yeah. feel the weight of it. We are, it may, we are in the same boat. Yeah, and it may be connected to the fact that I also think Ansel was the weakest of them all in terms of his portrayal of Tony and the singing. And you know, remove the off-camera stuff. That's we're talking about the film. For me, I just didn't feel he was a hundred percent dialed in. And as um, Melina referenced earlier, I didn't buy him as a singer necessarily, and I thought he was kind of a trained actor to sing as opposed to a singer. And yeah. I thought some of his duets and then some of his stuff with Valentina, I didn't feel that as powerfully so that by the end it was Rachel who was doing the heavy lifting. And I, so that ending didn't hundred percent work for me. Yeah. There's also something about it just being four sharks, four jets. Mm. Um, yeah. It felt very, symmetrical and staged mm -hmm. and also just i want the whole i want everyone who's been involved in this story yeah to mm. be here to witness this moment to all together say we got to find a better way and when it was just kind of a few people from either side who were there to see it it didn't have the gravity that i was looking for for that final moment um and then the point of view even was a little odd at as mm -hmm. They're taking him out and we're with Maria. But then we end on Valentina and Chino. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. It just did not seem to fully resonate the way I, I wanted that final moment to in an otherwise near perfect movie. That, yeah. that moment 
the somewhere and we could talk a little bit about Ansel. I think um, he did a great job. Um, he really did lovely work. And I think I found I liked him more and more as we went along. Oh, OK. Um, I also thought that his scene work, like at the end when he finds out Maria's dead, that expression on his oh, yeah. face just oh, broke yeah. my heart. He yeah. did just incredible work. The The setup for him with Something's Coming. That's mm. our moment to meet Tony and right. to get to know him. But he was talking to Valentina the whole time. So right. I felt over here. Mm -hmm. um, and yet, <laughs> I'll say from the right. actor director side of things, uh, acting is hard. <laughs> <laughs> acting authentically while you're singing. Sure. Harder. Must be very hard. Um, <laughs> Bernstein music, Sondheim lyrics, not easy. Uh, and you have to have a lot of experience to really do that. And especially on camera, because if we all know the camera sees everything. Yeah. Yeah. So if there's any emotional disconnect, it, your 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 words are extended because you're singing long phrases and if you don't keep that connection it's just it's very clear and Ansel did do a very good job and um he just didn't have in my opinion the experience hmm. to really carry that on film yeah I bet he'd be fine on stage and in fact, if he did more stage work, he might get more comfortable with that and be more comfortable to do it on film. Um, but then if you have a lead actor and this is the moment when you're yep. supposed to get to know him, yeah. don't put him by himself. <laughs> so in a way, I don't know if it was a choice. I don't know when that choice was made. But, you know, as a director, if I have an actor that's struggling and Steve can speak to this, you know, you give them an activity. You give Absolutely. Them to do you have them move through the space? You get their body activated. You give them something more to play off of, and so I don't know if that was part of the reason that Valentina is part of something's coming. But hmm. when yeah. I watched it, I was like, sort of diagnosing from both, yeah, in front of and behind the camera, going. There may be a lot of reasons. It's an interesting <laughs> diagnosis. I think that that, that <clears throat> certainly makes sense. I only, if we're comparing to 61, you know, we're with this character singing Something's Coming. It's yeah. an internal song. It's written to be him connecting internally, saying, I'm feeling something. When you are immediately in a room with another person and telling that person, I'm feeling something, it's no longer an internal song. It's not the function of it is different. And I actually think whether that was the diagnosis and, and the solution on their part to help Ansel, I think it probably hurt him hmm. um, that had we been with him and just gotten to know his heart. I do yeah. have to say, though, Ansel did all of his dancing. That's true. Very true. They yeah. there apparently yeah. were no dance doubles, and I was looking for um, for the stitches in Cool yeah. <laughs> because he did a mm -hmm. lot in that. When he I was like, "Is yeah. there?" She's like, "Nope, nope." That shot's still going. Did they do face replacement? I, I'm looking. <laughs> and he's a tall, lanky dude. Yeah, so. but but apparently no, no, he did it all. He trained, and he's. He went to LaGuardia High School, so I know in that um, program that mm -hmm. dance is required. So they, so he has studied dance. I don't know how proficient of a dancer he was back in the day, but I got to give him props for that. Yeah.
good driver and good dancer, apparently. Yeah. That's <laughs> Steve Potts on uh, Ansel Lego, but is, are there anything, is there anything in the f- film that you didn't like besides the choreography, as you mentioned earlier? Um, well, it's not that I didn't like the choreography. It's just that the choreography in 61 is so iconic. Fair enough. Um, I, watching it the second time, mm. I liked his performance better than I had liked it in the first time. Mm. I, I think that, I think that Tony mm. is not a very forgiving role. Like mm. it's, it's because it's like it's kind of the least dynamic of all the main characters and they fortunately added a lot to him that made him a much more interesting character particularly with the anger thing um but it's funny the the now that you say it and i'm picturing the you know that that song and his introduction i completely agree but i didn't bump at it on the time although this is where watching it the second time it took until i got you know, to cool that I was really a hundred percent in the other thing I think that's really interesting, by the way, is how central Tony and Maria are to the conflict in a way that they're Mm. not as central to the conflict in the original. (laughs) They were going to have that rumble regardless. Oh yeah. But now Bernardo's agenda is about Tony. And I think too, another, and again, it's just these little brilliant things is the staging of their first of them meeting, mm-hmm. putting it behind the bleachers. Now oh, it's suddenly, yeah. a, uh, it's, a, it's a private moment. And if you watch, you know, and, and Melina, you could speak to this too, is like the beat work in their dance, the, the meeting each other, all the little tiny details of their performance is so much better. And the fact that they're going to be discovered and the fact that Tony is trying to make this okay he you know him taking punches a whole bunch of punches at the beginning of that fight yeah that shows a lot of restraint than yeah. which we then see broken you know so yeah, yeah yeah me too yeah but, i you, love you the, the okay yeah you bring it i was the, gonna say i love the moment behind the bleachers and that's mm-hmm. one of the times where the original choreography is is done there mm-hmm. and i like the causality you guys mentioned that over, yeah. over again this makes more sense that Bernardo is pissed about this because right. he's he sees a white man coming out from behind the bleachers with his sister. So there's yeah. all kinds of places he goes. And remember later in the film, he says, gringos, they ruin everything. Gringos, they yeah. ruin So there's a real, which is very topical to what we're you know hearing and speaking about more openly now. We see the history of, of that and we see what can happen. And so that's more understanding rather than the prideful thing of like, oh, don't talk to my sister. That's a whole nother thing. Whereas this feels more cultural and, and more powerful. And he's not a rival gang member. It's a white man coming around the corner with his sister. And so that's why the rumble is set up in the bathroom rather than a dock. So it connects. Right. It makes right. more sense. makes it more potent. Yeah. And, and to, to everyone's point that, Romeo and Juliet here are at the at center of our story. You know, it's yeah. Tony and Maria right. that caused the battle. And even on the, the subway, um, Maria says something to the effect of we we can't pretend what we do doesn't cause trouble. Yeah. And so yeah. that self-awareness that they have um, makes all the difference in the world that she and Tony, even though they're on their first date, they're not agreeing. They're, they're not seeing eye to eye on that. He's like right. trouble is what they're made of. Um, and he does, and so to see that front and center really helps to deepen it. But then you flip it for Bernardo's perspective. You know, when Tony stops him and says, "You know, I think we just got off on the wrong foot," Bernardo starts asking questions. You know, what are your intentions for my sister? Yeah. And tell me a little bit about you. You were in prison. Oh, great. Right. We get it. We don't want that dude dating his sister. Right. So, and and then when he says, "I love her." 
that's the punch. Mm-hmm. The, the, the love causes the violence. Yeah. Um, we got about maybe 13 minutes before we wrap up, ladies and gentlemen. So if you're going to send in StreamLab Super Chat, do it now. Um, let's talk about uh, the final things here. We haven't even mentioned Anita DeBose that much. I mean, what an incredible performance here as Anita, Oscar-winning performance. What did you think that she brought to the role that allowed it to stand out from Rita's performance? As Melina mentioned, even though she was there in the same film performing in front of her, what do you think about what did you what do you think about what she did that made it separate itself out so powerfully in a way that Mike faced, unfortunately, did not separate out for Oscar voters? What it is about Adina's performance that separated her out? Uh, that's an interesting question because yeah, I think Mike Face really had a different take. Um, mm-hmm. It's in the writing and the direction. The whole the whole production had a different take on that character. Yeah. Um, I don't think that Ariana Debose. I don't think her performance was uh, massively different mm-hmm. than what Rita Moreno did, but she was very authentic. It mm-hmm. didn't feel like she was putting on, she was trying to do something out. It was very much her. And it's good casting because she really embodied that role. Yeah. Um, I think she benefited a lot from uh, the expanded world in the film. Yeah. She benefited a lot with the updated script mm-hmm. and the context. I love that they gave her um, in the, in the quintet, uh, the tonight quintet that, they gave her um, all those moments that then we pay off later when she goes to the morgue yeah. and sees the body and we see the, the montage moment of her in the police station. Um, I, I think we just saw more of her and more of that journey and she did it incredibly well. Yeah. She really did. And she brought all the life and the vivaciousness and the passion um, so I, I think she she executed it beautifully. Mm-hmm. I, I, for me, I think it's the layers. I think there's more yeah. layers and complexity in her performance. And I think, particularly, you you said, Melina, exactly what I was thinking. The journey from tonight to the morgue, mm. and then to you know a boy like that, is that you can see what I love in her performance is that you can see multiple things going on at the same time. Like when she walks out after a, a boy like that when she's going to docks and the cop is there and they had to do the stuff to like not tell the cop everything mm-hmm. and now she's out mm-hmm. alone on the stairs yeah. and you could see in her face that she has the realization like oh my god am i really going to try to protect the guy that killed am I, you know the yeah. man that i love am i really going to like all of that insanity you could see play out on her face i think and and as we get to you know her final betrayal of saying you know that chino killed maria like i'm it's it's one of the most horrible things you know it's just horrible but i'm a hundred percent with her not that i think it's good that she did it but emotionally understand that is where she is right now because of what she's been through yeah Yeah. i think her performance is amazing yeah Yeah. david i agree i i think you both have brought up so many things but at at the bottom at, at the end of the day it's just her authenticity she it's a it's an oscar winning role for perhaps a lot of people it's just a beautifully constructed character and arc yeah but you gotta come with truth in every Mm -hmm. moment on a level that's very rare yeah and she you know got up there and just it was a grand slam every single scene and her 
again, her dancing, her dancing technique is mm. flawless. Yeah. Yeah. She is a then as a dancer's dancer. I'll say that. <laughs> her shoes were melting off her feet in America because it was so hot. They yeah. had to keep replacing her shoes. Wow. Wow. Yeah. She's well, amazing. The, the changes in both the relationships, because to connect to the Anita thing, um, uh, Anita is more of a driving force in this version of Anita and Bernardo than she is in the 1961 version. You know, George Shakir is very much the old school Latino machismo guy. Right. Whereas Alvarez's uh, version or interpretation with Spielberg and Kushner is more of a guy, I have to do this because I have nothing else, but I want to be a boxer and I have a potential. There's other things that I could possibly be, but the situation, the circumstances, I'd rather be doing that than this, but I have to do this because of what's going on. Anita rules that roost more strongly because of Ariana DeBose's portrayal. There's a confident, strong um intelligence and sexuality to her that although was there in this uh, certainly with rita's performance it's more confidently overt i yeah. think in this uh, version of it it makes her very attractive to to watch and listen and follow throughout the movie um overall um steve anything that i haven't brought up that you want to kind of touch on or hit on that that, that i might have uh, overlooked here I want to return to the crazy statement I made when we did our review. And for David and Milena, uh, here's here's what happened the first time I watched the movie. Um, is I was texting with Karen, and I went, man, this movie's really good. Wow, this is really good. And then I texted, this might be better than the original. And then I texted, <laughs> I think this is better than the original. And then the last thing I texted, as I'm writing to her, is I, I wrote to her, and this is what I said when we did the review, there's an argument that this might be the greatest movie musical ever made. Wow. Now that is the, and that is when I started watching the second time I went, okay, I probably, I got swept up in things. I probably went too far. And then as we got into that sequence of incredible numbers, I started to go back and here's what I will say now. I can't say that. I think we need to wait 10 years until we can do a cinephiles <laughs> episode on it and really have time to think about it. But I think it is unquestionably one, one of the greatest huh? movie musicals ever made in the top, you know, cause I was looking at like what the uh, AFI list is and it's uh, singing in the rain, wizard of Oz, sound of music. You know, those are the ones they list. And I'm like, I put this right up with those. Oh yeah. You know? I put this one. Yeah. Totally. Um, yeah. uh, well, that, that's a good place to start our wrap up then, uh, Milena and uh, David final thoughts on this movie. Is it better than the 1961 original? Do you need 10 years or do you think you can say confidently right now, or is it a tie or do you not want to say for professional reasons? So I'm throwing it all out there. So whatever you want to say. I, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll weigh in on this and say that it is one of two of the best, greatest movie musicals of all time and you can choose if it's 61 or 21 but it is one of the two best movie musicals of all time wow, wow. strong That's political so statement i like that i like that yeah um i don't need 10 years um but i'm i'm gonna i'm in david's camp like they're i think we do a disservice to both of them to say to to make us choose okay because I'll go back to my my initial response to oh wait Steven Spielberg's gonna re remake West Side Story, which is the '61 was so of its time, mm. and it was more true to the Broadway stage production, and it was so groundbreaking. And I still I have great reverence for it. I think um, 
the new version gave it the context that we as a modern audience crave. If you had made the 1961 version today, it would not do as well because we've are. And and that's my favorite thing about revivals is for a new generation. It's for a new taste. It's for new desires. And they did it beautifully. So I want both. Yeah, you know, there's one one more thing about this. There's a difference between a remake and a reimagining. Yeah, right? reimagining. Yes. Yeah. And this is a reimagining. Yes. So it it's not easy to just apples to apples compare them. Fair enough. Fair enough. Steve, thoughts? Um, well, I, I I first of all, I feel very good that my musical experts uh are along with me on how damn good this movie is. Mm-hmm. And I really what I here's what I think is just so sad is that all of us have said in one way or another, wouldn't it be great if people said, yeah, we could let's do more movie musicals. And unfortunately, <laughs> the exact opposite is going to happen yeah. because this didn't do well. Um, uh, the in the Heights didn't do well. And so Hollywood is going to go. Nope. You know, musicals, that's not a good idea. And what I do hope, though, I hope this becomes a movie like Citizen Kane, like a lot of other great films that took a little while for people to realize how good it is because it is so damn good. Yeah, I couldn't choose between the two because of emotional connections, right? 1961 will always be a very, very special seminal moment in this Latino kid's life who was growing up, watching that with his mom, watching that with his dad um, at 10 years old and understanding film and understanding what could happen, how we could be represented. It wasn't until later that I found out Shakira's wasn't Latino or that Natalie Wood had no Latino <laughs> in her. Guy. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. I was like, what brown makeup? Son of a, you know, it's all those things. But this one, but I still loved it and I still loved it for what it was about. And then this one comes along and has even more of a Latino bent, has even more of, of, the, of, of the story of our perspective. And we are equal now in this film, whereas in the 1961 original, we're not very much equal. We are equal here. And that makes me love it even more. And then the reimagining, as David pointed out, the reimagining of this is so uh, authentic yet respectful, so different yet reverential and and it's so i'm from the dress with the red sash and these little hints these little touches enough to let you know they respect the material but they're going to walk their own path and i think that makes it one of the greatest movie musicals ever made and i absolutely would put it up there in the top five and i need some time eventually eventually to kind of really appraise where i would put it but it's uh, maybe even higher rather but it's certainly in my top five right off the bat and i've seen it three times now uh and it carries no less of an emotional weight uh, or emotional punch every time I watch it. And it's because of the phenomenal work by Kushner in the adaptation, Spielberg's direction, and all the actors, the costuming, the the choreography, the music, all of it, just such a fantastic reimagining that works on so many levels. And it is a damn crime that it really didn't make any money uh, and should have won numerous Oscars, including Best that. Picture, in my opinion. Best director, best everything. Across the board. Yeah, across the board. It should have matched what the 1961 original had. I think the only thing it matched is the box office from 61. Yeah, (laughs) right, right. But not adjusted, sadly. Not adjusted. Not adjusted. (laughs) Well, um, thank you so much to David Cornu and and Melina Govich for joining us. Uh, Please, both of you, it's, it's our honor to have you on the show anytime you can hang out. But please let us know, let everyone know, who might be discovering for the first time or who love you guys so much where they can find everything you got going on. Uh, You can check out my Instagram 
which is Milena Govich at Milena Govich. And uh, that's where I post all the things that I'm up to. Um, and, and you I post David's too, because he's not very good with my Instagram <laughs> that one day I expect I will try to use at <laughs> David Cornu. I would like to use it. It's our pleasure to be here. This was so much fun. We love talking to you guys and congrats on the podcast. Hey, Melina, yeah. do you have, what's the next uh, TV yeah. show that's coming out? Is there another one coming out that people could uh, look out for? Uh, yes. The next one to air will be Good Sam. It's a new CBS medical drama with Jason Isaacs and Sophia. Oh, yeah. Burke. Right. And I think that airs on the 27th. If that's a Wednesday, then it airs on the 27th, I think. That's him and his daughter, uh, right? His daughter is the, yes. the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. the twenty seventh on CBS. Yeah. And you've been um, doing Law and Order, and yes, done a a bunch of uh, FBI Most Wanted and uh, Law and Order recently, and an Equalizer, and yeah. So somehow this singer dancer chick is just I I direct action procedurals now. <laughs> Do we see a movie musical from you in the future? From both of you in the future? That's is a there big a yes. Yes. That is 100%. Yes, if we can use all of our magic and trickery to get somebody to give us money, that will be happening. Fair enough. I just want a five and under. I'll take a five and under, please. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not asking for much. Steve, uh, what do we got to tell them? Uh, well, uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at Cine underscore files, the Cinephiles podcast on Instagram. Check us out on Facebook. We're always posting stuff there. You can support the show at patreon.com slash the Cinephiles. You, I'll put up a, a page for West Side Story. You can buy both versions or stream them through cinephiles.net. Get in 4K. And you could, what? Get it in 4K, people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you could follow me at SR Morris on Twitter, SR Morris one on Instagram, and Enterprise Incidents for all your Star Trek needs. That's right. Him and Scott Matt's doing a fun, fun show there, Enterprise Incidents. Uh, for those of you who have been monitoring the Chicago Star Trek convention, go and listen to the stuff that Steve and Scott are doing on Enterprise Incidents. As for me, you can find me at The Roker Says on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. That's right, the old man's on TikTok, and you can find me on Twitch as well, The Outlaw Nation, all one word, doing a lot of watch-alongs on Twitch. I might do a West Side Story 4K watch-along on Twitch, so come and hang out with me with some facts and some figures and some things and some new things to tell you about that uh, as we watch along. So that might be coming up real soon. Uh, and other than that, I've got the, the Top 10 and the Geek Buddies out there as podcasts for you all to enjoy, and my own YouTube channel, youtube.com slash John Roca says we can see all my stuff there uh, in the world of entertainment. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks to everyone sitting in the stream lab and a super chat. Remember to hit a like on this video, subscribe to the channel. We're so close to crossing 9,000 subscribers, subscribe to the channel and hit that bell button. So you see when we're doing and dropping things like this on the channel itself and listen to our podcast. And we love you madly. And we'll talk to you next time with another brand new, the cinephiles live here from the cinephile.